In the section that uh, was read to you this morning, there was a little bit of the, of the section that we kind of missed uh, because uh, a couple of different reasons, but I wanted to add it because the part that uh, we're reading there, best Peter uh, writes it down there. He's saying, these are the things I want you to remember, and that's what I wanted you to be able to focus on. Because you remember I told you a while back in another sermon, I just heard someone say, if you had only 30 days le- left to live, what would you do differently and who would you talk to? And uh, I thought as uh, you listened to the last part, as it was read to you, as Dave read that to you, you could hear a little bit of that. You know, even from his first illustration where he said, you know, today my life could have been totally different than it was. Uh, A semi, a truck, a car moving carelessly down that road simultaneously in that moment, and my life could have been totally different rather than a praise report. It may have been, uh, you understand. And we realize the delicateness of our lives. And and so it's good to, to, to keep that all in balance. In this particular section... Uh, we've got the little add some more. And that's what I wanted the kids to get. So your kids paying attention? I wanted you to learn that you got to do more than just tell the truth. This is my godchild. You also have to add maybe some love and some P word. What's the P word? Some patience and some kindness and everything else that you have to add because otherwise you could just tell the truth and you could be very mean. Or you could tell the truth and you could be very rude. Or you could tell the truth and be very insensitive. It doesn't make much sense to say, Mommy, I love you, but never listen to her. It doesn't make much sense to pretend that you care about people, but you never show them any patience. Those things make absolutely no sense. So once in a while in Scripture, God writes out these lists for us to kind of help us understand And this is a beautiful list that uh, he gives us here in Peter. And so I'm going to back you up just a little bit into 1 Peter verse 5. And then we're going to catch 12. So we're going to put the the reading and this first little section together, okay? For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. It actually means to speed up the process. Speed this into effect. Move it along. Add these things because... It's not enough to just exercise one thing. This is my Godchild. You need to add something to it. Because otherwise you can be just rude or insensitive or uncaring. And God is here in Peter going, faith is fantastic, but it needs more. There's something in addition. And we focused on this once before, so I'm going to kind of go a little bit quickly, but it goes, uh, add this thing. It says, for this reason, make every effort to speed along to move forward, to add simultaneously with your faith. In other words, the faith is good, but it needs something else going along with it. If you understand this as kind of a a whole meal, it's kind of like, well, turkey is good for Thanksgiving. That's good, but where are the mashed potatoes? And then it needs a little bit of gravy or butter or a little bit of cranberry sauce or a little... And you come up with this whole long list and pretty soon you understand the concept of the feast. Well, in this example and this list, there's a difference between exercising faith and exercising the festival or the feast. The feast is speed all these other things into it because then you're going to begin to reap the maximum benefit from it. And if you had, you know, uh, we went home and we had Thanksgiving, what'd you have? Turkey? Yeah, but what else? 
Nothing. Was it a very good meal? Turkey was okay. You understand? You feel the emptiness, the incompleteness. And that's the sensitivity that Peter's trying to communicate. So speed along these other things, bring them to bear into the situation because they're so critically important, all right? Make every effort to speed along, to add, to furnish an addition, all right? This first one, which is goodness, and I think I've shared with you before, this goodness is really valor or manliness. It's sometimes called virtue. It's a good man word. That's what it means. Add to your vase. This kind of toughness, this valor, this willingness to move forward in it. If faith doesn't do you any good if it just kind of sits there, when it adds that strength, that vitality, that determination, that valor to it, it begins to move it in a different direction. Second point, he adds to that, through these, excuse me, oh, lost it. Uh, through, through this one, to your goodness, add knowledge. And the critical part of knowledge is that you have to understand um, you're short. Well, if I know that would hurt her to say that, I wouldn't say it. And you understand, being a real human being, there might be 102 other things I could say that really might hurt her that I shouldn't be saying. That my mind doesn't fully comprehend. And so why would knowledge be critical to add to your faith? Knowledge means I know when to open my mouth for God. Knowledge means I know what God is asking me to do. Knowledge means I get it right, not wrong. Knowledge means I understand what God is doing in the middle of the situation. Knowledge means that even though the weather's cold or my life is unfortunately going in a bad direction or whatever else it means, or I had open heart surgery this week, or I had an unexpected emergency surgery like some of the members of our congregation did this week, I know that God is working in the middle of that circumstance. Knowledge serves me at that point to reassure me that God has not given up to me, given up on me. Or like Dave going, I heard it here, I heard it here, I heard it here. And God's promises were repeated over and over and over to him. And he discovers that message God is willing to repeat and repeat and repeat. Knowledge reminds you that no matter what the circumstance is that you're in, you know what God is doing and what he's trying to accomplish. And so adding this next one, knowledge, and then he continues on to the next one. He said to the next one, add self-control. That ability to understand uh, this blessing of controlling oneself. I can speak truth, but I have no self-control. I may speak it at the wrong time. I can have a very private and honest conversation with just about anybody, but if I do it out in public and I say, well, let's talk about your sin this week. Let's see if we can talk about that embarrassing problem you have. My self-control may, instead of being useful to you, destroy you. Or my lack of self-control, excuse me, may destroy you rather than benefit you. And so the idea of self-control is learning that my knowledge is not the end-all. I need some more tempering on it. I need some other wisdom connected with it. I may know something, but now I need this second one. So if you can kind of catch this, it's adding all these together so that when you meet your God child, so that when you are out there in the world as God's man or woman, you're not singularly having just your knowledge. That thing is a sin! And you stick it up in their face. 
all those kind of people should go to hell. And you stick it up in their face because you lack the balance. It means that every one of those, even though you may be speaking a truth, you lack the self-control or the balance in your conversation to make your conversation useful or beneficial. And so instead of benefiting your godchild, you embarrass them, you hurt them, you pull them down, or whatever else you might be doing because you lack that balance. And so Peter's going, faith is outstanding, but add, speed this process along by adding these things. He goes to the next one, perseverance, okay? And in perseverance, that word for, uh, that word for patience is a word perseverance. I've taught you a long time that in Greek it means cheerfully endure something. Uh, the weather is cold. Cheerfully endure it. All right? The car this, the house that, the children that. Cheerfully endure. Why? Because it's required of you in dealing with real life people. It's required of you with dealing with circumstances. The weather doesn't simply change because you happen to be uncomfortable at below zero temperatures. Cheerfully endure. One of the qualities that you think about and you, you kind of understand that, uh, that kind of toughness that you either have to survive in the Northland, up here where it gets so cold, you have to adapt. You've got to adjust. And better yet, you've got to cheerfully endure so that you don't even flinch, whether it's weather or sickness or whatever the situation is. He's adding this next one to it. So he speaks of that perseverance. And to perseverance, you add this concept of godliness, and it, uh, godliness is that attitude, is my heart turned toward God. You see godliness because everything in my life is always turned toward the Lord. Godliness means when you see me, you see a character of God in my actions and attitudes. It means turn toward the Lord, turn to God. And so you understand godliness doesn't just, you know, just sit there, it means that you see I'm godly in dealing with my children, I'm godly in dealing with my wife, I'm godly in dealing with circumstances around me, that godliness has got to be added also because it becomes part of that process. The next one is the flavor of the brotherly kindness, which is the Philadelphia love. It's where you actually see the word in the Greek, Philadelphia. Uh, it actually means the brotherly love, the love you exercise between the brothers and the brethren, the love you exercise toward other people, and then finally that ultimate one, which is the agape, or we were talking about it in study this morning, the charity. The King James always translated agape love, charity. Because if you have not charity, then you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Well, they use the word charity because in the word charity, it means I love, but it means I will give you something that you cannot pay back. The word charity implies, I will sacrifice myself for you to your benefit, and you cannot pay it back. It is unable, I will expect nothing back. It is my gift to you. And so real agape love is finally that step. And so here's Peter, and he says, faith is good. He doesn't diminish faith, but he puts on all these things. Add and add and add and add and add and add. If I would have treated Becca from the moment I started with each one of those added thoughts, the last thing I would have done in front of a group of people, kids, would have been what? Made fun of her by telling her she was, and she really isn't, is she? Because I'm just, yeah. You understand? And so you begin to recognize if you're incomplete in these things, 
then you aren't manifesting the character of God and the presence of God in your life. If you are incomplete in them, you aren't bringing the things God wants in your marriage. You're not bringing the things God wants in your relationship with your children. You're not bringing the things that God needs for you in your job. And that's the verse, if you look down in verse uh, uh, 7 or so, coming up to 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you see the contrast, if you don't possess them, and the contrast, if you do possess them, it adds, if you increase these qualities, excuse me, possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. The character is that when you're sharing with a person, if I exercised all those qualities, rather than being an illustration that maybe hurt her feeling, she would have been an illustration that would have sat down and said, thank you very much. When you possess the qualities, you are now bringing to bear to your relationships, your friendships, your marriage, everything else, all the qualities God, that, that God needs in that relationship. If you drop one of them, you remove knowledge. Then you become ignorant. And you be going, well, I think this is what God wants or that's what God wants. If you remove patient endurance, that ability to endure cheerfully, then you lose in dealing with the difficult times in your life and circumstance. Each one of them contribute to rounding you out, to completing you, and that's the point that Peter makes here. He says, if these qualities are in you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have him, then look at the warnings. You're blind, or excuse me, nearsighted. You cannot see the next day. You don't understand why your life went the way it goes. Nearsighted doesn't have anything to do with glasses here. It has everything to do with you can't see tomorrow. Well, I don't understand why this thing went bad. I don't understand why we didn't work out. I don't understand. You go, because you're nearsighted. You only can feel and see the moment. You only know that I'm happy in this moment. How many relationships, how many friendships, how many times do you have a fight or a debate or an argument in your family or situation where you're so nearsighted you can't see the implications later on? And God says, I need you not just to see this moment, but I need you to see into your tomorrows. I need you to understand how this affects your child tomorrow. How important is it to apologize to your child? Well, nearsighted perspective goes, they'll handle it. Far-sighted perspective, and I gave you that testimony in my own life as I apologized to my one daughter, and tears rolled down her face. 10 and 15 years later, tears are rolling down her face because she needed to hear that I was truly sorry for a time when I lost my temper for it with her. And I go, well, it can't be that big of a deal, but if I saw tears rolling down my child's face, obviously I learned something, yes, it was. And so you begin to understand you can be nearsighted and be the pastor. You can be nearsighted and be a Christian and think you know things, but nearsighted means you don't have any inclination of how this is going to turn out because you don't have all those balanced things out there. You don't have all those sensitivities out there. You don't have the complete thing that God's trying to pour into your life. So it goes on. Uh, ineffective, unproductive, and I lost the next one. Uh, in your knowledge, but anyone who does not have him is blind and uh, is nearsighted and blind. Blind here in this context would be sees everything uh, opaquely. Opaquely means uh, uh, just like looking through the fog glasses. You go out of church day, you can kind of see its light 
but you can't see what's going on. And has forgotten that he's been cleansed from the sins in his past. That part of being forgotten, you go, it's like, well, I've been saved long enough. These things must not matter. And I, I've been working through with the kids at school, this section in 1 Corinthians that talks about the crossing of the Red Sea. And uh, there's a passage there that said, these things happened to the children of uh, Israel as examples and as warnings to keep our heads straight. You want to know how angry or upset or frustrated it makes God to be sexually immoral? God looks at you and says, I killed 21,000 people or 23,000 people in a single day. Do you want me to get clearer than that? Or can you take the warning? Well, you haven't killed me yet, Lord, and I've done all these things wrong, and God whispers at you, child, I have no desire to punish you. I have no desire to destroy you. I have a desire for your mind to be alert and aware that this is serious stuff you're dealing with. My patience should not be misinterpreted as stupidity or ignorance or unwillingness to deal with you. And he goes, don't be idolaters as some of them were. And they got up to indulge in pagan revelry and worship the golden calf. They focused their whole life on something wrong. And it said God destroyed some more of them. And you've got to understand, don't test God. Don't grumble against God. Why are all those examples written for us in 1 Corinthians? Well, they're written as warnings so that I learn the lesson I need to learn so I don't walk around life grumbling. One of the things at least a few of the people in our congregation learned in a very personal way is things can always get worse. If the worst thing we got to deal with today is 7 degrees below zero and a 40 mile an hour wind chill and a few drifts. Right? And then we can go further. If the worst thing I'm going to have to deal with this week or today is emergency surgery. You begin to recognize, can I learn from the warnings? Can I take the examples set in front of me and do with them what I have to do? Therefore, brothers, be all the more eager. Now we get to this section. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. And if you do these things, you will never fall. I guarantee if you watch your son or daughter fall, they stop doing these things. I guarantee if you're falling, you've stopped. Well, I just don't feel as close to God. I, uh, I just don't have the power in my life. I just don't have the love and the patience and the kindness and the goodness. Well, I can tell you why. It's right there. You're failing to do the things God's told you to do. You're not adding to your knowledge. You're not adding to your anything else. You've got your thing, and you're going to do it, and that's what's really happened. You filled your life up with yourself. You followed the path of the Israelites, and you can't figure out why you're wandering in the wilderness, and life is not turning out the way you thought it was supposed to turn out, and God must be a wretched God because his promises are no good. And I look at you, what does it say here? Therefore, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, and if you do these things, you will never, it's a double negative, absolutely never not, no, no way, fall. I mean, it's a beautiful promise in Scripture. You keep doing what I tell you. There's no way Satan's going to take you down. You keep doing what I tell you. You're not going to fall. You're not going to be tripped up. No one will get a foothold on you. No one will get a grip on you. But if you choose to drop off any of these on this list, if you choose to walk that other path, that guarantee pulls back. 
it pulls back. And so that becomes the important lesson. And it says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, verse 12, now we go into the part that Dave said, I will remind you of this. Here's Peter. He realizes he's coming to the end. Here's Peter realizing the end is coming. He's got his 30 days in front of him, that kind of a, a sense as he writes this letter. And he goes, I think it's right, verse 13, to refresh your memory, to repeat it again. Get the list right. Figure it out. Get it in order. If you're falling down and God's drifted away, guess who's moved? It isn't God. Guess who's changed? It isn't God. If you tasted the power of God a week, a month, or two or five years ago, the problem is not with God's power. The problem is you've stopped. Somewhere in that list, you've shut it down. Somewhere on that list, you've substituted your own stuff. Somewhere in that list, you haven't been obedient to what God has called you to do. And you are now paying that heavy price of losing what God has promised you. And that's the part he's trying to catch you to get, get you to understand. Second, or 14, because I know that I will soon put my body aside, Peter says. And the Lord Jesus has made it clear. These are these words. I'm leaving soon. What do I want you to know? What do you whisper to your children on their deathbed? What are you going to really whisper to them? What will matter? I sometimes play that scenario through in my head and I've read certain books and stories and every once in a while you'll see a movie or something and they have this kind of deathbed moment. What will you whisper? There's only one thing that matters. I don't care if my kids never own a house. I don't care if they have to walk everywhere their whole life. I don't care if they never possess one single thing. I only want to know I'll see them again in heaven. I mean, everything else just vanishes, it vaporizes compared to that knowledge, that importance of what goes on. That's why it struck me so much when that guy was asked, what do you wish you knew when you were young? And he whispered back or spoke back and he said that there's nothing at the top. That even after you think you've gotten all the fame and the fortune and everything else, and you go, and then what? You got the example, Britney Spears, if you read anything about this poor child. Right? Money, fame, fortune, there's nothing at the top. It's just as hollow and meaningless as it can possibly be. And yet you think, if only I had that fame, that money, that fortune, and I go, it is hollow. And that's the truth of it all. And that's what Solomon said when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. You don't have to learn it from her. You don't have to learn it from some other rich person. Solomon wrote it down. I've got everything. I can eat off gold plates. I have more gold in my house than Fort Knox. And there's nothing. It's all vanity. Can you learn or do you have to be taught it a different way? And that's what Peter's trying to get us to understand. We didn't follow invented myths. We were eyewitnesses and what we've received, we've passed on to you. We ourselves heard, we tasted, we touched, we understand everything that was said in the Old Testament. I'm reminding you it's true. Can you just hear this on your deathbed? Grabbing hold of your kid. Son, listen. You gotta trust. You gotta put your faith in God. You've got to get the kids and the grandkids to know it too. <coughs> and that moment, as you begin to understand it, you begin to recognize the power of Peter doing this, okay? And we have here the next thing. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. But prophets 
For prophecy never had origin in the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The power of knowing that Scripture is empowered by God's Spirit. God puts that out in front of us. (coughs) Lays it in our heart and says, this is what you need to know. This is what your children need to know. And if you do these things, you won't fall. If you do these things, even the little kids could figure out rudeness, insensitivity, and lack of patience. Even little kids could figure out if I really treated her that way, it wouldn't take long for her to walk in a totally different direction and wish that I wasn't her godfather. You and I have to understand that list that God's given us here in this list and hang on to it. Pray with me if you would. Lord, uh, by faith that you've worked in my heart, I know that I'm saved. I also know that you have offered to give me patience and knowledge. And every time I grow in my knowledge of you, it rearranges my thought, my reactions, my stubbornness, every part of my life. I hear your spirit whisper the truth to my heart and I'm reminded of the right direction to go. Lord, as I look at that list, I pray that for each of us here, you'd help us to walk down there and understand the power and the joy that comes from following it. I pray, Lord, that not one of us here would stumble and fall or have any of these things taken from us, but instead, by your mercy and grace, They would multiply themselves deed upon deed, moment upon moment, until all that you have for our lives would be poured out into us. Lord, let your mercy flood us this morning. Guard and watch over each of us and fill us with your grace and peace. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.